But if the Lord wants us to learn to consider it pure joy because he's doing a work, then we're calling something from our perspective bad that God says is good. True? Which is true. God's perspective, right? So we even find ourselves working opposed to, even in our mental capacity, opposed to how God would be living or how God would have us view hardships and trials in our life. And so as we learn to recognize and find ourselves desiring to get out of this chair of a throne in our own life, we find that to live as Jesus did, Jesus never chose to sit in this seat over his own life. And if we're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ, then that means we're called to become like him, not just do what he did, but to become who he was to become, let his spirit come so fully alive with us that just as Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives his life in me. That is the motto that each of us as Christians should be living by. That Christ and the formation of Jesus Christ by his spirit is empowering me to live a life that I can't live on my own because it is him living his life in me and through me. And that's a good thing for you and me and everybody that knows you and me. But we have to learn how to get out of this chair and to do just what Jesus did as he modeled a life of dependence on his father that he sat down at the foot of his father and he let his father be the person enthroned over his life. He said, I simply do what I see my father doing and say what I hear my father saying. That's how Jesus lived his life. So every time we find ourselves Sliding into this seat, then we find ourselves being held captive by that very nature that we were born into, that nature of sin. And our view and perspective of everything in life gets twisted and altered from something different than how God sees it and how God perceives it. So we have to learn how to get out of the chair. Good news. There is a power beyond what we are capable of. That has taken place and that has been demonstrated to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, before the resurrection, before Christ came and gave his life, we were bound to this seat. We were bound into this nature of sin. But we have a new life that can be found in him and all that he has done that he gives us the power to be able to get out of the seat and enthrone him over our lives. And that there is a breaking over that bondage. That sin has to us in our life, and now we can live a life dependent on him. But here's the tick, is that there's a responsibility on our part. You see, it's not just us learning to get out of the chair. It's also us learning how to live the life and receive the life that he wants to live through us. So I'm going to kind of start this morning with telling you a little story. Uh, Timothy's heard this story before. Um, several years ago, I have, I have two, two boys. Uh, one's 13, one's 11. Several years ago, I found myself, I won't call out which one it was, but Andrew went and I went to, um, uh, we had a little special moment. He's back there hiding. He's actually here today. Um, we had a little special moment and I was, I was doing a discipleship group at the time and, and Rebecca was like, you know, Andrew's really not, you know, receiving instruction very well. Can you like take him out to a little special dinner? Right. And I said, it's a great idea. You know, great idea. Thank you, Rebecca. And so 
I took him. I asked him where we wanted. We went to California Pizza Kitchen, right? I'd never been to one before. And we sat down and I had, like I said, I've been studying wisdom and I was reading Proverbs. And as I, as you look at Proverbs, here's Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, the wealthiest man that we know, right? Other than Jesus, here is Solomon. And he is writing a book talking about, you know, this, read this and you're going to gain wisdom. This is to be able to understand things you can't understand before yourself. And so the first six verses go on. Okay. Say, this is the purpose of this book of Proverbs. And then in verse seven, and this is what I talked to my, I guess at that point, a uh, eight year old about that night in a way that only an eight year old can understand. So you're going to get a little piece of this to kind of understand the beginning of it. Verse seven in Proverbs chapter one reads, this is coming from the wisest man other than Jesus who ever lived. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Some versions say despise wisdom and instruction. And so as I talked to Andrew and created this, this mantle to be able to see Solomon as this person you want to be like, like who does not want to be the wisest person they could be and to be the wealthiest person, especially for an eight year old. Well, yeah, that's a lot of Legos I could get if I'm the wealthiest man in the world. Right. So Solomon is this hero in my life and I want to become like Solomon And so I need to be able to adhere to and receive wisdom. But Solomon, one of the first things that Solomon says is that fools despise wisdom and reject and don't want to have anything to do with instruction and discipline. So if you want to be wise, you need to quit rejecting instruction. And so, you know, we're all sit in this seat, friends. We all sit here and we 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 hear truth, but do we choose and desire to receive truth as instruction over our life? And where we choose to reject truth to be something that would instruct us in our life or something for us to discipline ourselves by, then we see them. Then we sit in the chair over our own lives as fools. And here's the reality. We're all foolish at times. But we don't have to live a life crippled by the foolish things that we do and continually making the same foolish mistakes over and over again. Because Jesus Christ came and gave his life that we could get out of that chair and not be bound by the life of sin that we were so comfortable in. As we learn to live a life like he did, as we talked about last week. He never sat in that seat. Instead, he sat humbly before that seat with his father as a governing voice in his life and modeled for us what we should do ourselves. And so, thankfully, I'm an analogy guy. He gives us our own little chair, right? Our own little camping chair. And this chair's got got two clips on it. Anybody ever seen these little things? These are neat little chairs. They're. They're great if you're if you're backpacking, you know, I mean, if you're going if you're going through the journey of life and, and you got to walk through the journey of life, you know, which which chair would you rather carry around all day, every day? This one. Right. Or this little thing that you can uh, clip onto your belt and just let go with you. So he gives us this little chair as we're using it as an analogy that we can sit in. And as we sit in this, this chair represents an altar in our lives. 
It represents a place where we come to live as a living sacrifice before him. In view of the mercy that he gives us, Romans 12, 1 and 2, in view of the mercy before us, we lay ourselves on, a living, as, as, on an altar as a living sacrifice. This is our spiritual act of worship. So to sit in this, this camping chair and what all it represents before this throne, we are living our lives as a worship and a sacrifice before God. But in order to sit in this chair, there are choices that we have to make and things that this chair is about. This chair really doesn't work well. It has two little clips on the side, two little buckles. And if you unbuckle those things, well, it really just kind of keeps my my bottom off the dirt. And that might be valuable. But the real value of this chair is when you clip in the buckles. And so one buckle for us this morning represents humility. See, he's going to unpack this more as we get further into the series. But in the kingdom, power is coupled with humility. And where power is not coupled with humility, there is nothing safe about power in your life. Because if it's the power of the kingdom of God, it will be coupled with the same spirit that it was true in Jesus' life where he was humble before his father on the throne. Power for power's sake is not healthy in our lives. Power coupled with humility can be a magnificent transforming agent In my life, in your life, and in the lives of everyone that knows us as a Christian. Equipped with power and with discipline. Now, with power and discipline, the the ability to humbly receive and the discipline to follow become a life where I can sit at the foot of Jesus with him as authority over my life and I can live the life modeled for me just like he did as he lived with the father over him. But you take away discipline and you have a you have a, a little thing you can sit on and maybe try to figure out how to how to rest back against with some healing and say, OK, there's truth. And and and, and I, I really like truth and I'm, I'm humbly accepting your word is truth. But without the discipline to follow that truth, then I'm really missing out on this gift that he's given me and this place that I'm to sit before him. You take humility away and you just have discipline to try to follow God and you'll find yourself wrapped up in a life of performance. You'll find yourself just like the Pharisees. Caught up with a religious spirit and never knowing it. But through the coupling of humility, of of being able to humbly receive and being able to practice and to dive into discipline to follow Christ, we can find ourselves now moving to become more and more like him and experiencing power that he wants to bring. Because, see, friends, as long as we sit in this seat, we may gain, we may maintain control, a certain amount of control over our lives, but our lives will be lacking the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of who he is and the things that he wants to do in our life. You may be really comfortable in being in control over your circumstances and over the decisions and over the things in your life, but you will be lacking the power of the gospel and the experience of the fruit of the spirit in your life. Now, the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Does that sound like something you want? 
then it requires us humbling ourselves and moving into a life of laying ourselves on an altar as an act of worship before God and living to daily deny ourselves, but to follow in the disciplines that he lays before us and the opportunities that he puts and presents before us for us to practice the Christian life. You see, discipline in this sense is just like training for a marathon. Now, I could run a marathon, but not today. At least I could run a long way if I trained, okay? So if I decided I was going to train to run a long way, I think I could run a marathon. I could definitely run a lot further than I can run today. But because I haven't been training, I am limited in how far I can run. Hence, the need for practicing a discipline. And as I practice a discipline, I will be empowered to do something that I could not do before practicing it. Does that make sense? You can't live a healthy spiritual life without practicing living accordance to the truth of God. We're going to unpack that a little further this morning. You see, there is a reality of who God wants to be in our lives, where he is the one that sits in the throne over our life. And we learn to take on the same nature as Christ and practice the very things that he has given us. You see, from the very beginning, we're going we were, last week. We started in Genesis chapter three and this week we're going all the way to one one. I mean, in the beginning. Right. Who can quote that one for me? In the beginning, God created right he spoke and everything came to existence and we see a retelling of that from john's piece in john 1 1 he said in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the word became flesh verse 14 and dwelt among us in the form of jesus christ we call that in the christian world incarnation that the word of god the word god himself in a not yet a foreign person as he, as he became in Jesus Christ, became a man and dwelt among us. The incarnation of God in the form of a man gave in the full, full appearance as a man. The incarnation. Well, if our life is to be modeled after and we are to have a life that looks like Jesus, it's not just about doing what Jesus did. It means becoming what Jesus who Jesus was and, and who Jesus wants to be in your life and my life. If you've been here over the past few months, as we talked about discipleship, this is the core element of discipleship. Being a disciple was not just to learn what Jesus learned and to be able to teach what Jesus taught. It meant to become like him in every way. That literally his life is being formed in me. This was we talked about in Galatians 2.20 a minute ago, where it, Paul saying it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives his life through me and in me. Are we living with that same motto over our lives? Because that's the invitation to an empowered life. Jesus, the word of God, became flesh and came to dwell among us. And so if we look at God's word, we have content. You and I can read this content. And here's the reality. The content of God's word. In order for Christ to fully come alive within us needs to meet and interact with the context of our lives. The content of God's word 
being applied into the context of our lives has to be a discipline that we are choosing to live ourselves to live by as we humbly sit before the throne of God as he is sitting on the throne over our lives. If that doesn't make sense, we're going to dive into it here in a minute. Before we get there, I just want to kind of say one thing. I've, I've, a lot of what I have done and do in, in, in pastoral ministry is, some, is pastoral counseling. And I can't tell you how many different times that there have been moments and times of, of truth, that, of leading people to truth, of what the alternative to what they're doing would be in Scripture. And you would think that if you can show somebody what the situation is and where they're making a mistake and reveal truth to this and that they would change and it would be that easy... Well, let me just tell you, it's not that easy. Sometimes, from a humble posture, a person comes and is ready to receive truth and apply that truth, and it transforms their life. Truth will transform when it is applied. Okay? Truth will transform when it is applied. So if you want something transformed in your life, then let's find a way to apply who God is and what he wants to do into that as true. Unfortunately... Just because truth, and this is true for every one of us this morning, just because you're going to hear truth this morning doesn't mean you're going to apply it. I'm, I'm going to challenge you to, and it's going to be really clear what you can do to go about that. But unfortunately, too many times we find ourselves sitting in the seat and hearing the truth and saying, I just don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like forgiving that person. I don't feel like I can love that person. I don't feel like I can just get over all these wrongs and instances. I don't feel like, and you fill in the blank. Where does that get you? How's that working for you? Friends, feelings are not our God. And we have to start living a life humbly before God. And exercising disciplines that refuse to allow the, the, the feeling cheeks that I have to sit in that seat. Because we have lived for so long in that chair. And it has only robbed, stolen, killed, and destroyed the life that Jesus came to have in us and through us. But as we humbly learn to get out of that seat... And kneel before him and live our life before him, asking him to have his way. We will find ourselves being empowered in a new way. I'm going to give you a practical. That was the what of the message this morning. Now I'm going to give you a how to apply this in your life. So at least for this morning's case, we're going to say that there are two different types of trials or hardships. There's a contextual trial or put that slide up because I can't remember what I wrote. A circumstantial trial. And a social trial. A circumstantial trial is a trial over something that you may not necessarily have control of. It may be an accident that's happened. It may be a health issue. It may be a financial piece in your life. But it is a trial dealing with circumstances in your life. And the second type of trial is a social trial. So it's a, it's a trial in a relationship that you have with other people. And whichever trial you're going through or whichever trial you embrace, we're going to address these two different trials this morning. I'm going to give you a passage of Scripture that is the word that you can apply into the context of your life and have the word of God applied into the truth of who you are. And as practiced, 
I believe that you will have an experience with the incarnate spirit of God becoming alive and true in you. But where we read God's word and see as his content and don't allow it to be moved into the context of our lives and practiced. We find ourselves sitting in the chair and being robbed of so many different things. We find ourselves without the energy to get up and go for that run. We find ourselves with no discipline. Eventually, it'll eat away and steal away humility as well. And we'll be fooled by becoming fools and not even receiving the instruction from the word that God has given us. So if we want, if we think that power in the kingdom of God is simply about being able to lay hands on people and see healings take place, then you are, then we're, then we're really mistaken. That's just a manifestation, a fringe benefit of some of the goodness of who God is. The real power of the gospel is the power to free from sin and transform our life into the image that we were created to have, which is into the image of Christ himself. That is the power of the gospel. And if we get caught up on the fringe benefits of seeing manifestations of, the, of God's power by saying, oh, well, real power is happening when people's, you know, limbs that they didn't have are growing or, that, bl- or that, that blind eyes are seeing. And we miss that the true transforming power is so that those who were bound to hell get to experience God for eternity. Then we're missing the true reality of the gospel. We're blind to the reality of its effect in our life. I didn't intend to say all that, but I just happened to. I'm going to address, start right now, the the circumstantial trial or hardship in our life. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me, I'm going to look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, the first three verses. You're going to take the content of God's God's Word and apply it in the context of your contextual situation. Since then, you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above. Where are your hearts supposed to be set? Things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Where are your minds supposed to be set? Not where? On earthly things. Imagine you're in a difficulty at work. A difficult situation at work. This project is going south. It's not, it may not even be your fault. It may be your co-worker's fault, but your boss is irate. This is a big deal. There's a lot of money on the line, and you could lose your job because of this situation that you're at at work. You're wrapped up in all kinds of worry and frustration and anger, and even the way you're interacting with your co-workers and your spouse when you get home and your kids. It's affecting everything. You can't sleep well at night. Overwhelmed by this situation at work. Imagine... Imagine what it would be like to apply content of what God's word says into your life. And you could literally practice a discipline of humbly becoming before the throne of God and say, God, this is a big thing to be right now. But I want to apply the truth that you've given me. And I want to set my heart not on the things here, but on have my heart set on the things of the kingdom. And so I see you seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to set my mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, is what Paul is saying to us. 
We need to learn how to daily take up our cross, deny ourselves, take up our cross, experience a death to be able to get out of this seat and be able to have our minds and our hearts fixed on things above on Christ rather than on the things of the earth. Did anybody follow me in what that could look like? That you're not going to be wrapped up in the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. And I could tell you, because it's true in most of our lives, we live our lives back and forth like a ping pong on a, on a table, worried about the thing, the circumstance in our life that we're dealing with this week. And two months from now, you probably couldn't even remember what you lost sleep about two months earlier. If I asked you about what your biggest hardship was last year at work, you might not could tell me. But in that moment, in that week, it was an overwhelming thing. It's a here today, gone tomorrow. And here, the truth of God, the word of God is saying, have your mind fixed on eternal things, on things above. Have your heart set there. Do not live with your mind set on earthly things. I wasn't planning to share this, but I'm going to throw it in there. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He said, join with others. You don't have this on the screen. Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note, those who live according to the pattern that you gave. For as I have often told you before, now I say even, again, even in tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is, is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Paul is saying that of those who are the enemy of the cross of Christ. Their mind is on earthly things. How much more should we then, friends, learn to sit humbly before God with a discipline to have our mind fixed on heavenly things, not on earthly things? You see, what I believe happens when we learn to practice this discipline and have the content of God's word applied in and lived out and as a chosen thing that we're going to apply into our life. And I'm going to learn how to think on heavenly things rather than be thinking on all the things of the world that are constantly overwhelming me. Then we're going to experience the power of the fruit of the spirit in our life, specifically in this instance called peace. For the fruits of the spirit are Love and joy and peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. This is just one three-verse little piece in Scripture. How much more would this change our life if we learn to practice and invite God to live his life in us? Because I don't think when Jesus was being persecuted, he was sitting in that seat, overwhelmed with the circumstance. He had his mind and his heart fixed on things above. He had his mind and his heart fixed on his father, willing to do whatever his father was doing. And he was not concerned with what this meant for me or whether or not it felt good. I don't know if I feel like getting up and down on a cross today. Father, can you pick a different day? He didn't consider that because his mind was so fixed on what his father desired. You and I can learn to live in the same way, but we have to humbly get out of the seat, allow him to sit in his place 
and to practice, begin practicing discipline that equips us to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. But the reality is, so long as we sit here and say, well, I don't feel like it or it doesn't feel right to me. I don't know how to love this person. I don't know how to do this thing. I don't know that I'm capable to do this. Well, guess what, friends? We finally come to a place when we do not have the capacity or the ability to love unconditionally or to do this thing that just feels like is impossible. We finally come to the place that we're supposed to be and that's to be able to get out of the chair praise god hallelujah i can't do it that means you have to empower me to do what you called me to do that i can't do on my own that is an empowered life i cannot live an empowered life when i'm expecting that i can do it on my own strength my own ability i have to humble myself before him and desire and practice whatever discipline he would put before me that he can live his life through me and in me, and then I receive power to do what I was not ever able or capable to do in and of myself. And the fruits of the Spirit just start popping up like blossoms and blooms and things you want to eat on because they're good. But if you don't want love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control to be a part of your life, then just sit right here and be comfortable. But you'll be miserable as hell. Because this is the road that steals, kills, and destroys and guarantees a taste of hell in your life. Doesn't have to be. Social trials. When you're dealing with a trial that is a, in dealing with another person, say it's a boss or a, a spouse or a coworker or a child or whatever, a neighbor... Any relational trial, then if you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, we'll look at a, at, a, at a simple, it's really simple piece to apply into our lives, right? Simple. Philippians chapter 3, I'm sorry, ch- chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Now we're going to read three through eight, but friends, that's just that's just verse three. Let's just pause there for a minute. Imagine yourself in a situation, a trial, or a circumstance that is overwhelming in your life, a hardship with a boss, and you're you're deciding I'm going to apply the truth, the content of God's word, in the context of my situation. And his instruction says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Oh, how much that would change just by applying verse three. Consider, I'm going to consider my boss. I don't like my boss, Steve. He is a jerk. He wants me to preach again next Sunday. He just beat me in fancy. No, he didn't beat me in fancy football. Are you with me? Whatever your situation is. But to humble yourself and consider that person better than yourselves. Oh, friends, let me just tell you, transformation is already starting to happen. As you humble yourself before God on the throne and apply his truth, it's starting. The generators are turning. The source is starting to move. And you can feel it immediately as you humble yourself before his word. That's just verse 3. Verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Mm. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Everybody say that one for me. Verse 5. 
Your attitude should be the same of Jesus Christ. Say it again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Does that sound like being a disciple? That it's not about doing what he did. It's about becoming like him. His attitude. Our attitude should become the same as his attitude. We're not talking about actions. We're talking about attitude. We're talking about motivation within us being transformed. And it is to be like Christ, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And sit in the throne over his own life, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the man we are to become, become like. And we cannot become like him. It is impossible for us to become like him apart from him and his spirit moving in power in our life, doing the transforming work that he can do. And he can only do that when we get out of the chair and we buckle in to a life of being a vessel, being a sacrifice before him. This means that denying myself and getting the feelings off the throne is a big part of our lives. Now, this may not sound like a whole lot of fun, but let me just tell you, when you put into practice and apply, even to the same attitude in which it would be in Christ, where you humble yourselves before this person that you are in a social struggle with, consider them better than yourselves and live as a servant before them, even willing to die on their behalf. I didn't say you're going to feel like it. You're not, you may not feel like it in the moment. You may not feel like it in its initiating opportunity, but as you choose to practice it and do it, you will find something overwhelmingly powerful in your life because the content of God's word is now becoming incarnate truth into the context of how you are living your life. And I guarantee you, you will find yourself empowered have the same attitude, the same mind, and the same heart as Jesus Christ for this person if you choose to follow him. So friends, this just isn't a, uh, a hypothetical piece. This is really something that I'm challenging you to try. If we're going to live the Christian life, then we have to get off the throne We have to worship the one true God. And Scripture says the way we do this, to live our life as a living sacrifice before Him, we have to choose daily to die. And that doesn't sound good, but the fruit of it in our life, when you drink from the cup of living water because you sat in this little camping chair, I'm an analogy guy, and buckled in humility to receive and the discipline to follow in His words, you will taste living water of life. And praise God that it is not a one-time drink. It is a daily challenge and daily opportunity. I had a great idea to go do something fun with my family on Friday night. And I sat right here, and man, it got ugly. I had a plan to go do this thing, and and next thing, but nobody else really wanted to do it. And I was like, well, we've got to go do this thing. And, well, nobody else really wanted to do it. And I just kind of stuck to my plan, and it just... 
It wasn't pretty. Okay, I'm just going to tell you it wasn't pretty. But here's the same thing that, that I hope you can understand. And this is a, a, this is a story that I, I use in a, when I'm sitting down with somebody in counseling. Okay, so imagine that, you know, you, you go home and, and your wife is upset with you because you left the tube off the toothpaste and the toothpaste got out on the sink, right? And she's like, well, why can't you just put the, put the little top back on the toothpaste? It's like, well, that's not me. You're supposed to buy the toothpaste that has a little flip top. We don't buy the toothpaste that you twist the little top on it. We buy the toothpaste with the flip top and then we don't have to worry about this, right? It's not my fault that the toothpaste is on the counter, right? I mean, isn't that what we do? That when we see something and we're, we're told something that we do wrong, instead of receiving instruction from how we could become like Christ, we immediately just point the finger and say what you should have done wrong. But friends, as long as that's happening, no progress is being made in us learning how to get out of the seat and become like Christ. But the moment that we're willing to own our part and ask God and ask him to lead us in something else, then something amazing will happen. And suddenly I'll, I'll learn to look at my wife and say to Rebecca, you know, okay, I'm going to practice the Philippians piece. See you is better than myself. I'm going to see myself. I'm going to choose to be a servant. I'm going to die to my own nature. And I'm going to ask Holy Spirit, what would you have my attitude be that it would be like your attitude over this toothpaste? And I find myself saying things that I never could think of before and saying something like, you know what? You're in this house 24-7 and you're cleaning up messes after an 11 and a 13-year-old boy all the time. And the last thing you need to do is, to come, is for me to come home and have a 42-year-old mess that you've got to clean up. The least I can do is put the cap back on a toothpaste bottle. I'm 42 years old. I'll at least be able to put the cap on a toothpaste bottle. How much more could I do to come alongside and serve you? Now, which sounds more like Jesus? Arguing about Point the finger and say, you should have bought the right toothpaste. Or learning how to humble myself. Learning. Got a long way to go. Learning how to choose to humble myself and to practice the discipline that God gives me and what he's already given me in his word. And see the power of God move and even something over the conversation like a toothpaste. But you tell me which would feel more like transformation. Which is going to keep, which is going to help put the lid back on the toothpaste, the argument or the desire to humble myself and become a servant and ask for God to transform me and ask for God to use me and ask God to lead me even to have the same attitude that he would have. Friends, when we're in a place that we don't feel like we can do it, that is the place, that is the divine opportunity for God to show up and do a work of transformation in our life. Quit letting feelings be your God. Learn and invite yourself every day to get off the throne of your life and learn how to sit down in a little seat in humility, considering others better than ourselves, and jump in to the opportunity to practice discipline. If you don't have this discipline, you just have a lethargic spiritual life. And I'm just going to say you all got a lethargic spiritual life. And so do I. But we don't have to. We can buckle in and begin preparing and training and daily choosing to invite God 
and all the goodness of who he is become the reality that we experience in our lives. We'd be fools to see God's word of instruction and then not desire to gain wisdom by not jumping in and delighting in learning how to be disciplined by his word. Let's pray.